Shape Moda designs women's trousers to suit everybody's shape to get the perfect fit. Just imagine that as soon as you wear a pair of trousers, they feel like the best piece of clothing ever. Dress for your body shape with Shape Moda and make a huge change in your life now. Go to shapemoda.com and find out which body shape you have. Shape Moda gives you the perfect fit. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle and in today's episode we're going to be talking about something that a lot of people are talking about, Love Island. The show in many respects is quite innocent, right? And it's 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 nice how, how it's about the kind of the laws of seduction, right? And I, I, I think that aspect of it is really nice, you know, I mean that's something that kind of turned my my head about it is that... <laughs> You, you know, you know, because on the one hand, turn my head. Yeah, there you go. Before I bring you the episode, I just want to say a little farewell to a woman who has been with the podcast for six years now, but who has been, but who is leaving us this week. Jennifer Ryan has been a huge and important presence behind the scenes here as producer of not just this podcast, although she spent a lot of time with us. She was also behind the politics podcast and in the news, which she helped get up and running and which has been a great success. So she's been beavering away um, as producer on a lot of different Irish Times podcasts and has made her mark here. It's been an absolute pleasure to work with Jennifer. She was full of bright ideas. And she always had a great talent for sniffing out the kind of stories that you, our listeners, wanted to know about. And you would have heard her voice on various reports as as she went out with her microphone for us and um, talked to people about a lot of different issues. She's also brilliant crack and we're going to miss her a lot. So on behalf of Suzanne Brennan, Cathy Sheridan, JJ Vernon, Declan Collin and all of us who work on Irish Times podcasts, we want to wish her the best for her next adventure. So Jenny, thank you for everything over the years, for being a great colleague and a fantastic woman and for all the very funny, brilliant nights out we've had as well. And I hope there'll still be some more. We wish you well and we hope you keep listening to the Women's Podcast, which you have been such a huge part of over the years. Now, it's been running since 2015, not without controversy, it has to be said, and it's broadcast six nights a week on ITV2 and Virgin Media 2. Of course, I'm talking about Love Island. And as Emer McLeish pointed out in the Irish Times recently, it might seem ludicrous that people would give up almost every summer evening to be in front of the telly for 9pm. That's exactly what has happened for a lot of us. The premise, she says, is simple. Tanned and lithe young people travel to a secluded villa in Majorca to put on a uniform of bikinis and swimming trunks and rub up against each other in a bid to find true love amid a series of tasks, tests, and temptations. Public and villa votes decide who stays and who goes and each member of the winning couple must make a choice to either split or steal the €50,000 prize. But of course the prize really for a lot of these young people or the ones who win anyway is that they become these sort of super influencers and uh, begin to have careers in their own right as part of that. 
So we thought seeing as it's a programme of the summer, we'd gather some people to discuss it. Dr. Laura Kennedy is Irish Times beauty writer who also writes on Substack. Fascinating essays on everything from grief to, yes, Love Island. Jerry Godley is also known as the bread man walking and he's the owner of a micro bakery in Dublin 8 and a recent convert to Love Island, which he watches every night with his nearly 14-year-old daughter, Amalia Godley, who also joined us today. So the three of them came on the women's podcast to dissect and analyse Love Island. And I began by asking Laura Kennedy to explain the series for those who might not be familiar. Um, well, I've, I've only really been watching it for three years because um, I, I, I kind of believed the the stories about how um, they would revoke my doctorate if I decided to watch it and it would mean I was a moron. But um, that's not the case, it turns out. So Love Island is essentially kind of part Stanford prison experiment, um, part wider anthropological study, where you get a bunch of um, young people at the maximal intersection of physical beauty and poor decision making. And you put them in a villa together um, in a sort of metaphorical, if not literal, island. And uh, you put cameras on them and you watch and see what happens. Um, so a bunch of boys and a bunch of girls are put in together. Um, and essentially, they're sort of incentivized to form romantic relationships. And whoever can get to the end, surviving all of the various tests that the, the producers put into place for them, um, which involve a lot of jelly and infidelity and these kinds of substances. Um, the winning couple gets £50,000, which is um, very meaningless uh, in our modern economy. Essentially what the winning couple gets is to become power influencers who make huge volumes of money through social media. And it's all very compelling. <laughs> you mentioned it there, Laura, but you have a doctorate in philosophy. You are Dr. Laura Kennedy. What is someone like you doing watching a programme like this? Well, it's, that's interesting. I find it always a really good mirror into another person when they say, well, what, why are you watching this? Or, oh, I thought better of you. And I'm like, really? That's a very boring thing to say. Um, I, to me, those sorts of criticisms are really very barely veiled classism, for one thing, and lack of imagination. So the contestants of in Love Island tend to be British because it's a British show and they have regional accents. Um, and they're working class people for the most part. And this is coded as in some way um, unintellectual or unserious or um, low culture. Let's call it that, where, you know, chess and classical music are high culture. Generally, the people who kind of level that criticism at me, I, you know, their houses aren't coming down with Vivaldi and chessboards themselves. You know, they like plenty of low culture. Uh, it's just that Love Island has been categorised as a certain type of low culture, which codes you as a person, which I completely reject. It's incredibly interesting stuff. It's a massively um, fascinating philosophical and psychological kind of experiment that happens every year. I watch it with my husband and we have had for the past three summers, I think, how long is Love Island? Six or eight weeks? So we've spent about eight weeks, 18 weeks of our lives totally discussing like the philosophical meta questions of Love Island and the, the one at the very centre of that, Roisin, which if anyone listening can answer, please email me. Are the producers of Love Island geniuses or idiots? 
discuss. I don't know. <laughs> well, we might get into that one. But I want to bring in Amalia Godley here, who is sitting with her father, Jerry Godley. Amalia, tell me about some of your favourite people on Love Island at the moment and the ones you like to watch the most. Okay, well, I'd say one of my favourite people would be India, just because I like how she like doesn't like she stands up for herself and she's not like, you know, she knows what she wants and she doesn't like let people like you know, like drag her around or anything like that. I quite like her personality. Uh, she's quite sassy. Like, I kind of like that. And I'd say at the moment, I'm a bit mad at all the boys. But um, Amalia, tell me why you're mad at all the, a lot of the boys. Well, I just think they've been a bit dis- disrespectful to the girls lately. Like, especially like Dami and Luca, I don't really like. You know, they just, I just don't think they respect the girls enough and like they're laughing at them and all the time. Like, I don't like that. But like, I'd say like, hopefully they'll change. But I think lately they've yeah. just been a bit. I'm going to bring Jerry in in a minute, but Laura, just going on to that, because that's one of the things that at the moment, there's a lot of complaints um, from Ofcom about misogyny and the toxicity and that kind of thing that some of the boys, the bullying of Tasha and the various comments over movie night. What do you think of all of that? Um, well, I, I mean, I think I completely agree with Amalia on the India choice, by the way, because she is a sort of very mellow, self-contained, confident person, which is very appealing in the context of Love Island because... You know, I don't think the structure of the show attracts that kind of contestant in general. You know, if you want to go on Love Island, I think there is a sort of uh, external locus of control going on there where you require validation from outside. But but whatever. Um, so given that that's the context, I think you're always going to get a certain kind of people regardless of gender. I feel like there is a there is a real strong temptation to look at Love Island through the lens of gender solely or primarily. And I kind of. I'm not really there for that. In a sense, the show itself forces you to because it's constructed in such a way that it is incredibly um, gender normative, as the nerds would say. You know, the they sort of force the boys and the girls to coagulate in their various corners every morning and discuss um, as, a, as a group as though they have something in common by dint of their gender. I think there's been a lot of bad behaviour on every side. There are individuals um, namely Luca, who I'm like Captain Red Flag, uh, who I'm not a fan of. But, um, for example, all of the kind of stuff about Tasha, again, to be kind about it, it, they're, they're people, which is easy to forget when you're watching people on TV, they are human beings in the world. But I, I think if you kind of observe her behaviour, she has a tendency to control others through crying, which is a very interesting behaviour and requires everyone to launch in and save her and make scenarios about her, often that aren't about her. And I think that's a really interesting way of managing a situation, but it's quite narcissistic. Um, So a lot of the time we'll look at someone who's crying and think, that's a victim, that's a person we need to help. And people have been unkind to her. But she is also um, somebody who is has a tendency to make every situation about herself and spends a lot of time, kind of a big angry spider in the corner, pouting, and projecting this negativity over everybody else. Well, Jerry, I'm going to bring you in here. Now, I've got into the nitty gritty about some of the characters, but before we go further down that line, why did you start watching it this year? And what do you think of Love Island as a first timer? Well, I, I, I mean, I started watching it because Amalia was watching it, you know, and I thought we can do this together, you know. Um, so it was, as, it was as banal as that. 
Um, and I mean, I, like, I, actually, I'd love to, I'd love to watch it on Laura and her husband's sofa as well, mm. because I mean, those are like, she's, I think we can all go home, frankly, you know, because Laura has encapsulated it really well. But, but, and, 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 and I think I'd be guilty of some of the same biases that she's kind of articulated there about these kind of shows. And in fact, as Laura was saying that the one I was thinking about most was Come Dine With Me the show where over the course of a week people eat in each other's homes, you know, and there is, um, there, there is a, a, a dreadful tone of kind of talking, poking fun at the under, untermensch and observing their poor taste and their, you know, you know, her spectacularly unsuccessful attempts at creating posh food in their very modest homes. And it's a very, it's quite an English, a British genre. I think, I, I, I think we don't tend to do that so much here. I mean, it's, and that's that's another day's work about i guess you know the very the the the, the myriad and very subtle ways in which kind of class finds ways to articulate itself in england that that we're probably quite illiterate about here sometimes um but anyway like as as and as laura says once you start watching it's utterly captivating like you mentioned or the the kind of prison um sort of experiment side of it. And it is, it's like a panopticon, isn't it? It's like, it's like a prison where you can observe the prisoners 24 seven, you know, I mean, one of the questions I have is, is there anywhere at all where they can go for a little bit of privacy, you know, and it appears not. Um, and, and the other bit I find on, a, on an even more kind of base level, I find it interesting as a kind of a zoological experiment, right? In terms of the human behavior. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm, I find myself more interested in the kind of macro human, human behavior side of it rather than the behaviors of specific individuals. You know, it's really interesting in the same way when you go to the zoo and you look at the behavior of the primates, you know, you can, you can stare through that glass for hours and hours because it's, it's really interesting in that way. So, you know, so there's, there's something, there's something for everybody. Absolutely. Now, Derry, who are your favourite people to watch? Because I'm very fond of Ekansu and Davide. And you came up with a great um, nickname for Ekansu. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, I, that. I call her Fekansu, you know. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing about television as a medium, right? Because I think that the longer the camera is pointed at you, the more unflattering what it portrays becomes, you know, generally, because, you know, the sort of the, the truth will out in the end. And, and also the kind of the endurance aspect of this thing for the contestants is that I think eventually everybody is bound to stumble, you know. In fact, I'm sure the producers sort of engineer that to make sure that everybody has their kind of crisis of of faith or or crisis of credibility or whatever at some point but strikes me that Ekansu and Davide uh, and I even know his second name by the way now do you know his second name Laura do you know Davide's second name for me he has no second name but please proceed <laughs> his name is San Clemente okay yeah San Clemente um but but they have him kind of improved over time right and like I remember, I mean, Ekansu, I thought was a bit of a fire breathing dragon when she came in first, but she's kind of mellowed quite a lot. And, and the pair of them actually, they're kind of like an old married couple now, you know, and they're kind of, they seem, they seem a lot older than everybody else. I mean, they're not, but, but they seem to be sort of settled into a almost pipe and slippers kind of, you know, 
Um, uh, so I, they're, they're, they're very likable. Um, I, I also like Paige because I think um, she's really, she, re- she stands up to Luca like he's hurtful, but she's, she's, she's she, you know, the last couple of nights, she's not been taking any, any crap from him and she's just been kind of calling him out on his, uh, frankly, very dubious double standards, you know. And I really, really like Danica, right? The, the luckless Danica, because she's a, she's a, she's gorgeous. She's really lovely. But my God, every time she opens her mouth, it's like, it's like a supervisor in Topshop trying to motivate the staff, you know, and it's just like the kiss of death, I think, you know, so I'm really hoping that with the fresh meat that arrived last night, that there'll be something, there'll be something in the goodie bag for her. Laura, do you have any thoughts on Danica? Because she's had such a bad run. She's been trying to pursue, I think, five relationships and she gets the same, you know, no thanks back to, from all of them. And she's she's upset at this stage. Yeah, I mean, anyone would be. And that's fair. And she does. I completely agree that she has. Um, there's so much loveliness in her. And not to mention that, like everyone else on Love Island, she's physically stunningly beautiful. Um, but she does have that sort of... Um, one year performance review vibe, you know, when whenever anyone's talking to her, which is quite, you know, it's very unromantic, let's put it that way. But I have, I think, perhaps an unpopular theory on Danica. Gal Twitter, which is very supportive of all gals in the context of Love Island, is very much Danica is victim. She's been rejected five times in a row. This is horrible. And yes, however, I think in some ways, because of Danica's um, kind of self-confident uh, demeanour, we confuse her for someone a lot older than she is. And I think she has a lot of that young woman vulnerability. She has a very, very specific type of male that she's interested in. And invariably, it's a kind of a quite emotionally immature young man who cannot actually interact with her in the way that she wants. She seems to choose people who are going to reject her, not on purpose. But, you know, like, I thought the conversation that she had with Deji, who's expressed interest in her last night, and Deji is just a grown-up man and a reliable, so far, kind, sort of excellent communicator, which is apparently, in the context of Love Island, the kiss of death, you know, very unattractive. Um, but he was saying to her last night, which I found really illuminating, that um, he had felt very interested in her, but he felt that she wasn't going to give him her Love Island lexicon 100%, and therefore he was sort of withdrawing his intentions toward her, which is very mature, well-communicated, I don't know if you've seen Danica's interactions with various men, but they essentially say to her, I'm not really interested. And she says, well, would you consider flexi time? Essentially is her response. You know, like she doesn't just accept the rejection. She's kind of, and that to me sort of smacks of a young woman who doesn't value herself sufficiently. You know, I will take your crumbs. I, I just need to feel something here. And Danica deserves a whole loaf from somebody and I don't know what kind of person that will be for her, but, you know, she does and she shouldn't accept less. Um, Laura, just before we bring Jerry and Amalia back in here, can can you tell me why you, I know you have a theory about why she's not interested in Deji? And it's a kind of a it could be a bit controversial, but tell me your thoughts on that. Well, look, I don't I'm not in Danica's head and I don't know, but she has sort of frequently expressed there was one exception in the form of Josh, a young man who left earlier in the season. Um, but she has kind of repeatedly said that her type on paper, Love Island lexicon, is um, a, a Caucasian male with brown hair. Um, and Danica is uh, obviously a woman of colour um, and Deji is a, a black man. Um, uh, and I think as someone in an interracial relationship myself, 
Love Island is incredibly reductive around ethnicity. People tend to pair off sort of by skin tone and black contestants have a much harder time. Um, They have to work harder to sort of be seen by other contestants. It's very uncomfortable. And again, people love to talk about Love Island in relation to gender. Specifically in the context of Ireland, I think there's more ethnicity conversation about Love Island here in the UK. But it it really bears looking at. And I'm not making any comment about Danica as an individual. Every individual has the right to sort of find appealing in any person, whatever they choose. But I think if you look at it as sort of an example of a wider trope within Love Island, it's all a bit uncomfortable. Mm. Jerry, any thoughts on that? I think I, I'd, I, I'd really agree around, around, around the race question. And it's, and it's kind of hiding in plain sight. You know, it's like, and it's like this. So on the one hand, you know, um, I guess in terms of how the show is cast, it can engage in a kind of sort of performative inclusion because it, it achieves a bit of balance. But but actually, you can you can you can see the sort of you know the ghettos within the ghettos, right? But but I actually think it's it as well. It's a sort of probably part of um, a sort of wider thing about the show where 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 in, in a way everything is painted in binary colors right all emotions are 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 painted in binary colors all types etc um and in a way that's like i mean i refuse to believe right that that all of these people are as are as kind of bland and uninteresting as they might appear on the show i know they're much more interesting you know you know dammy's a microbiologist for crying out loud you know these are these are interesting people with and they must have opinions about the world and and everything else but at the same time i i they're all it's clear that they're all on a very kind of tight leash right and that there's there must be a sort of very lengthy kind of contractual rider that that they sign before they go in that sort of dictates you know what they can talk about and 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 what they can't and and in a way that's i mean that's fair enough you know there's there there are other out there we, we have other intellectual outlets in our life i guess that's not not necessarily what 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 we're there for but but one thing that occurred to me is that 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 and it, i mean it's like and equally you know we we are we are a, a mixed ethnicity uh, um, family here as well. And, and I mean, I find that there's a, there's a kind of Asian people, you know, are sort of conspicuous by their absence as well. So, um, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's really, it's really interesting. But I guess at least, um, is it, is it progress of a sort that it's, it's not all, you know, the one type of we people, which maybe if you went back, if you if you went back, maybe if you were doing this ten years ago, you know, maybe it would have been just one token person from from a different um, ethnicity, you know, other than other than white. I don't know, but it's really interesting. Amalia, I want to bring you in again because uh, what's it been like watching Love Island with your dad? Because you've watched it before without him, and um, I think you watch it with your mum, and then he's got in on the action this time. So how have you found that? I mean, there's definitely a lot more uh, comments. But I think, like, no, I do agree with him on most things, I think. And it's nice to just, like, have, like, it's nice to have someone in the house to chat about it. Are you kind of learning things about life and relationships or do you see it all very much as, you know, not real life and it's it's just a TV programme? I, like, I really don't know because sometimes I feel like, again, like, I can't, they're kind of, like, in an enclosure, as my dad would say. Like, it's like they're just told what to do. There's, like, cert- there's like a certain routine they kind of have to follow throughout the day. So sometimes I feel like it's not that real. But then, like, also, like, 
sometimes they do have chats on maybe like a deeper level and then like you know sometimes they do you know like the whole boyfriend and girlfriend thing I think that's like probably one of the most deepest things in terms of like relationships I watch it with my two 13 year olds and they hate watching it with me because I keep pausing it and then having big discourses about why that person what they did was wrong we heard about your Love Island viewing habits yeah we know all about you <laughs> yeah they don't like it anyway they just want to watch the program but uh, but I think it's it's really interesting for me and Amalia because of course we we, we do kind of see it you know through through different viewpoints you know and um and and uh and i you know we have to meet kind of halfway about it and like sometimes amalia will really kind of call me out you know for kind of being a bit a bit sort of overly harsh and things like that and i totally respect that and <clears throat> one of the things that i do think is quite nice about it is that is that it is like for amalia and her generation you know who are on the kind of you know, the cusp of, of womanhood or manhood or kind of, you know, you know, just ab- about to plunge themselves into the kind of deep, turbulent waters of relationships is that actually the show in many respects is quite innocent, right? And it's, it's, it's nice how, how it's about the kind of the laws of seduction, right? And how the laws of seductions kind of you know, the choreography of those things, you know, and um, I, I, and I, I think that aspect of it is really nice. You know, I mean, that's something that kind of turned my my head about it is that, <laughs> you, you know, you know, because on the one hand, turn my head. Yeah, there you go. But, you know, like as and I think as Laura, to Laura's earlier point, you know, we can have a perception about things like this, that it's it's just it's all it's really shallow and it's really just all about the beautiful bodies and the, and the abs and the physicality of it. But actually, they are human beings and they do um, they are vulnerable. And and, you know, the, the you know, people do have to kind of go out on an emotional limb uh, and deal with the fear of rejection and, and all of those things. And, and that's how it is, you know, when you're when you're learning to kind of forge, you know, romantic relationships with people. I, I do find it interesting that it still seems to follow the kind of time honored um, uh, uh, um, pattern of the sort of the boys doing the asking. I mean, I don't know if you guys would agree with that, but it does feel a bit like that, you know, that that sort of. The, the, the girls are, the girls are kind of these beautiful objects. The boys compete for the beautiful objects. The power still resides with the girls around this, I think, because they get to say yay or nay to, to the boys, you know. And that's why, well, I mean, we haven't talked about Antigone. I mean, I think that's what, what was so interesting about Antigone because it was clear that she was going to be somebody that was just going to, you know, she, she just wasn't, she wasn't drinking that Kool-Aid. She was going to do her own thing. You know, which is why she probably scared the shit out of them and they got rid of her, you know. Laura, any thoughts on, on there's a lot there that to unpick? It's, I mean, I, th- there's so much in there for sure. And it's fascinating. But a couple of things stand out. One is that, like, a- as we were talking about earlier, that kind of binary is very much there. And it is a very kind of heteronormative structure. And I feel like, for example, if Marx were here and he weren't sleeping on people's couches and borrowing money and not paying it back as he was when he was alive, he would probably decide that Love Island was, uh, is, you know, a sort of um, a really 
uh, a sort of stealth tool of the powers that be to reinforce the benefits or the uh, the norms of conservative relationship structures, because it's very much like that. You know, it's essentially it rewards monogamy. It punishes non-monogamy and it kind of it, it sort of distracts us with all of the, you know, rolling around in pools of jelly and thong bikinis. But actually what the show is sort of reinforcing is heterosexual, traditional, monogamous relationships. Um, and that's interesting. And it kind of gets missed, you know, as I was saying, in, in all the bikini stuff um, and, and all of the kind of seemingly liberal um, games around, uh, you know, slightly loose behaviours. But it is, it's quite a conservative show in its sort of philosophical structure. And I find that fascinating. This podcast is brought to you by shapemoda.com. Log on today to find your perfect fit. Laura, I want to get into some of the more controversial aspects because there have been two contestants over the years since this thing has been going since 2015 who have killed themselves. There's been a lot of talk about, and Caroline Flack as well as the presenter, um, a lot of talk about mental health and the commentary around it on social media can often lead people um, to be very distressed. Uh, and so it's, there's a lot of talk about the responsibility producers have uh, about the mental health of the contestants. What What is your take on all of that? Um. Well, I think it, when you're sort of constructing a show like this, uh, sort of taking part in it for sort of self-actualized adults who are at peak mental health is a profoundly unattractive proposition, I think, firstly. So you're not fishing in a pool of people who are secure, um, at full emotional and mental maturity for the most part. I, there are, of course, exceptions to that. Um, and I think as well, when you're in your sort of late teens or in your early 20s, which is where contestants tend to f- be fished from and interestingly, where they are most saleable in terms of um, uh, advertising and so on, um, you're going to be dealing with people who are in the process of figuring out who they are, but don't necessarily yet know precisely who they are. Um, and so when you're when they're in this, you know, Stanford prison experiment, as it were, that heightens the vulnerability. So I think there's a massive responsibility to have people in place who are professionals, who are kind of keeping an eye on this, who are, uh, you know, being present and monitoring. And there's a huge um, responsibility for sort of <clears throat> when they're selecting contestants to check them out psychologically in advance. I think you can do that and you can still end up with people who um, have some vulnerability or who later go on to have some vulnerability or who don't anticipate and then are not particularly able to cope with the consequences of the process. Um, and that's a tough one. It's, it's, it's very uncomfortable. Um, I, I don't think it's unique to Love Island. And I do think that there's a certain um, there's a certain classism that comes in here as well, because there tends to be a middle class commentary around sort of uh, often the contestants are working class and it's actually very interesting to see how the body politics sort of spews out any posh people that ever end up in there they never stick around they don't do well in that environment um so this idea that we need to protect them i think they're adults we don't necessarily need to view them as people who are inherently vulnerable and need protection but they certainly need support and since they're making so much money for itv through this show there's an enormous responsibility for them to Uh, check them out in advance and take care of them through the process. And it would be nice if there was some check in after as well. When my daughters are watching it, Amalia, they keep saying, uh, why would anyone go on that programme? 
what do you think about that? Would you ever go in that program, Amalia, do you think? Like, to be honest, I think that, like, some people are in it for the money, some people are in it for the fame, but there are genuinely some people who want to find a real connection and could have been trying for a few months or years and to go on to Love Island to actually try and find someone. And I think that's it's not all, like, they're not all about the money or the fame afterwards. I think some people are genuinely trying to find love. And Amalia, you used a very important Love Island word there, a connection. And I think this is a good time to get into a bit of what Laura calls the Love Island lexicon. So you can kick us off, um, Amalia, give us a couple of your favourite phrases that you've learned on the show and what they mean for people who don't know. Hmm, I think obviously pull you for a chat is one. OK, can you explain pull you for a chat? Um, So one of the people will go up. And just they'll be talking to someone or something and they'll just be like, can I pull you for a chat? And then they'll take them and talk about like problems or whatever they've been having. And I think that's a funny one. Like it's like always the same thing, pull you for a chat or like, and I, yeah, it's like, it's quite funny. And and where the chat happens has become, seems to be important. You know, if it's at the fire pit or <laughs> if it's on the terrace, forget about it. Like nobody, you know, nobody comes back unaltered from a trip to the terrace, to the roof terrace. Now, Jerry, you need to explain the terrace a bit more. Tell us about the terrace as a place, metaphysical or otherwise. Well, well, I mostly, well, of course, the terrace is where, you know, Eck and Sue's great transgression <laughs> happened in the in the first week where she crawled on all fours. Twice. With Jay, actually. God, I'm really impressed I remember Jay, actually. <laughs> Jay's, Jay's a lifetime ago, isn't he? Um, but, but I most associate the terrace with the girls being up there in the morning, actually, yeah. where they are forced to kind of, they all seem to be forced to kind of convene for these kind of, constant post-mortems so in the morning there's a post-mortem of the evening and in the afternoon there's you know what I mean and they all sit around um you know um in in very improbable nightwear it has to be said on occasion and and they conduct post-mortems on what happened um the night before but as as Laura says it, it it's always very kind of innocent stuff like if somebody had a you know a peck on the cheek it like it yeah. it brings forth you know gasps and kind of you know all, and and like in a kind of in a kind of Margaret Atwood way all the handmaids are sort of around clucking you know because somebody got a peck on the cheek or something so um, but the locations are the locations are loaded that big sir Dammy seems to own that big circular bed thing he seems to be there a lot yeah yeah that's his happy place what about some lingo um jerry what lingo have you learned from love island because there's a bit of it is what it is is a big one until it isn't roshin yeah it is what it is till it isn't it is what it is is great because like in a way the whole sort of you know kind of existential conundrum that all of them find themselves in is you cannot i think you can kind of unpack it is what it is any way you like but i suppose what, most of the time what it means is, you know, we are all here and what is required of us is yeah. to sort of kind of compete and 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 get notches and sort of acquire acquire trophies, you know, and, and maybe when they say it is what it is, which it's an acknowledgement that, you know, may they are they might be developing kind of, you know, real bonds with people. But the reality of the show requires them to be adversarial towards each other. 
And it is what it is. It is. Um, Laura, what about your favourite lingo? Any more lexicon that we haven't mentioned yet? I mean, there's a lot of 100%. There's a lot of 100%, which I think comes from X Factor world because there was a lot of that there as well. 110% even. Absolutely. I mean, if you really love someone, you love them 110%, which it must have mathematicians the world over just rolling on the ground. But um, yeah, I find the Love Island lexicon is very much influenced by... um, Several of the contestants, you know, when they go into the room where they sort of confess and speak alone to the camera, a lot of that, namely sort of Danica and Jax had this and also Luca does, a lot of sort of post-match interview lingo at the end of the day. It is what it is. A hundred percent. That kind of stuff. It's it it really does have its own um, its own vocabulary that I suppose is developed over the seasons. And then when people go in, they simply adopt it as though it's. Love Island is kind of, even though in between seasons, nobody is there flirting with anyone else. It's kind of, it exists, it's atemporal. It exists outside time and it it continues and the lexicon must live on. We cannot really change it. Every once in a while, a new phrase will make its way in. I mean, it's not specific to Love Island, but Davide shouting liar at Ekansu in a a heightened Italian accent that got shrill with emotion. Liar, act, yes. Uh, It will, it will live forever in Love Island, I think. Okay, um, listen, we're, we're, come to a, an end really but I want to find out who you all think is going to emerge triumphant from this and be the one who becomes the, the king and queen of Love Island and ends up uh, earning a lot of money we haven't spoken about Gemma her who I've actually become quite fond of Gemma's father is Michael Owen which is why um, she's there who's the footballer and she sort of started off as this kind of quite privileged you know annoying person but she's emerged as probably the most let's face it mature person I'd say there she has no time for Lucas histrionics and and carry on and uh, I quite like her but um will Gemma and Luca be the the triumphant ones or will Davide and Ekansu liar actress emerge triumphant Laura what's your thoughts well, I don't know what will happen. Um, I think people find Luca quite unappealing. Uh, but in the in the world of Love Island, it's I don't know. It's like the sort of high era of the of Roman emperors. Things can really change in a day. So uh, that could that could change. But I know what I'd like to happen. I would like Davide and Ekansu to win. And at the end, one has they have the option of taking the money, I believe, together or sharing it, or one person can take it all and screw the other over. And I really want that to happen because it would be hilarious. I feel like Ekansu has it in her. And th- uh, their relationship is so, it has such lovely moments. It does have kind of old married couple energy. And I feel like when you look on, you go, that's lovely. It might be cosmically doomed, but it's lovely. And if it is cosmically doomed, I want to see the explosive outcome of it being Ekansu crawling out onto the balcony to steal the money, essentially. <laughs> and um, just before we go on to Jerry and Amalia, um, we haven't spoken much about Dami, the microbiologist, as Jerry mentioned earlier. He's from Dublin. So do we think um, he keeps being voted as one of the least popular uh, when the public vote? So what's happened? His star has kind of fallen a bit. Um, it has. At the beginning, Dami was he, he has a kind of um, a real lovability. He has this really close platonic friendship with Paige, which I think is always a really nice sign um, in a young man. Um and a kind of a great sense of humour and a lot of that kind of inherent sort of Irishness that we recognise and love. But he's just made... Also, he's one of those younger people, again, who I kind of have to look on a bit with sympathy because he's very good at advice. You know, he's good at sort of taking a bird's eye view of scenarios and telling other people, maybe you could adjust this. And as he's confessed himself, he's positively dreadful at applying it to his own scenario. He has absolutely no objectivity about his own choices. He makes 
awful decisions. And in a way, this is part of youth. And I feel like, you know, sometimes you can hurt people by making bad decisions. And if you're not being filmed, then you learn from those experiences and you, you kind of move on. Um, but he's sort of repetitively making bad decisions. So he is on a, a bit of a thin ice scenario and uh, he's likable, but there are some question marks there, I feel like. Yeah, I feel he's gotten away with a lot of what he did in Casa Amor, which we haven't talked about. But Casa Amor is where they put them to um, go and put them in the front of temptation. And he did a lot more there than I think India is aware of, which I hope is going to emerge. I feel he was with, you know, he anyway, it all came out in movie night. But Jerry, who do you think is uh, going to emerge as the winner of this mad thing? Honestly, I've no no idea. I mean, uh, you know, there's no saying about electing popes, which is that he who enters the conclave as pope leaves as cardinal, right? So Ekansu and Davide, I think, would be the front runners, but which which I think puts them in a precarious position because I think the producers will cook something up. They will cook up some some un, some trial. Maybe it's that Brazilian girl that arrived last night, right? But but right, but they're they're, they're going to do something to try and really unsettle them before they get it over the line. I definitely think Ekansu and Davide, like I do love them as a couple, and they have overcome obviously that huge fight I think they've been through a lot as well and I think they'll be able to handle more obstacles in the future and they're just such a cute like just the way they're affection that affectionate to each other and like I definitely want them to win because they're my favorite couple I love them she's really good at putting up with his with his narcissism I have to say you know the, when he talks about himself in, the, himself in the third person you know she's going to get the Davide treatment she's going to be very happy you know um, it's it's uh, but he's you know but 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 actually there, there's and maybe this is sort of stereotyping but he does seem imbued with a certain kind of Italianate kind of romantic authenticity he but you feel you feel a sense of conviction from him when he's when he's talking about um his his feelings and looking for a girl that has values you know and all, and all this kind of stuff you know where whereas um the other the 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 lads from this part of the world don't they don't quite they don't quite sell it in the way he sells it Um, And before you go, because I think this has been a very illuminating conversation and I think even some people who are listening who might not have watched Love Island, they might go and give it a look after this. Um, I want to give you all a plug yourselves as if you were on Love Island telling about yourselves. Laura, you've been writing up a storm on Substack. Tell us about where we can find all that. And for people who aren't familiar with Substack, because it's it's kind of relatively new. Yeah, um, Substack is an online platform. um, So I write a column there called Peak Notions every week uh, that you can access for free. And um, I have touched on Love Island um, and I'll soon be sharing um, uh, an article on a sort of philosophical examination of um, class and Love Island. So if you're interested in that, you can find me at lkennedy.substack.com. Brilliant. And Jerry, you can do a bit of a plug as well, because you're also known as the bread man walking. I am bread man walking. So when I'm not watching um, uh, Love Island, I make I make bread. I make food, which is something you never see in Love Island, right? Like, I really worry about that. Like, I mean, when do they eat? In fact, I saw one of them last night with two, they looked like sort of tiny little airline sandwiches on a plate. I think it might have been Tasha. And I was amazed because actual, who was it? Summer. Oh, it was Summer. Thank you. Anyway, that's what I do. I am, I am a micro baker um, for my community uh, here in Dublin 8. And um, you can find me, uh, Instagram is the place to find me, uh, Breadman Walking. 
Breadman walking. And Amalia, you also have a bit of e-commerce going on and a bit of entrepreneurship following in the footsteps of your mother and father. So what do you, what are you selling? Well, at the moment, I have a small business with my friend. Her name's Kate Fletcher. And um, we sell jewellery that we make, handmade. And we do markets and stuff the odd time. And yeah, it's been going quite well. And can, where can we people find your jewellery? Um, on Instagram, we also have TikTok. I'd say search Sun Moon Jewellery and yeah. Okay, so search for Sun Moon Jewellery on all the social media platforms and it's there. Well, this has been a great conversation. I'm very grateful to you all. Let's see what happens and maybe when it's all over, we might have another chat. But until then, thank you very much, Jerry Godley, Laura Kennedy and Amalia Godley. Thanks, Roisin. Thank Thanks. That's it for now. Thanks so much to Jerry, Laura and Amalia. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Jennifer Ryan. Goodbye, Jennifer. And by Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. Get in touch with us on social at IT Women's Podcast. We're on Twitter and Instagram or email us the women's podcast at irishtimes.com. Mind yourselves and I'll talk to you next time. <laughs>